welcome one, welcome all to another edition of the Wolves Fancast. Uh, we're recording this shortly after uh, what was our 15th league loss of the season to Tottenham in uh, what was an awe-inspiring game. Not really. Um, joining me today, Matt, Kim and George. Uh, first off, in the spirit of Mental Health Awareness Week, just want to ask you all, how are you all doing? Matt, how are you doing? All right, mate. Not too bad. It's been a it's been a busy old work week, and I've been getting my green fingers on and sorting everything out in the garden. It's been quite therapeutic, and that that game helped keep me in that low low adrenaline, looking forward to going to bed kind of mantra. Is was it almost like a mindfulness thing for you <laughs> to, was, to, thought, to, to help keep the mood low. I thought <laughs> I thought I'd subscribe to Premium Headspace. <laughs> Kim, how are you doing? too bad had my Pfizer vaccine last night so yeah feeling feeling the effects and and it it it, it meant that I actually fell asleep through the game today so I'm not sure if that's the effects of the vaccine or or the game and I've come to the conclusion it's a little bit of bit of both I think going through the dodgy 48 hour spell aren't you yeah I was 48 hour spell the match George how are you doing yeah, I'm all right, thank you. I mean, I'm much better now that 90 minutes is over. Um, other than that, it's been a solid enough week. Uh, feels like we're starting to roll back into normal, and from tomorrow, apparently, we can hug everyone. So, apparently, and if you're single, you can go and have casual sex, according to Boris as well. So, there you go, knock yourselves out on Tinder. <laughs> Well, that game certainly didn't get our pecker up. Let's be let's be honest. So we might as well just delve straight into it. Um, team news, best place to start as always. Um, we had a handful of changes actually from from the Brighton game. Some enforced, some not so enforced. Um, so uh, Pedence come out the team is injured again. Probably something that might explain he's in different form, but he's now going to be out for the remainder of the season or what's left of it with a groin injury so hopefully that's sorted out for um, for next season um, Dendonka came in for Neves Sace came in for Kilman and then Lord Kilman King Kilman might I add and then um, in the interesting switch was Samedo had come in for eight Nori at left back Matt when you saw the team tell me your initial thoughts your, your concerns or your worries when you saw the team well, I did think that it was strange on the back of good performances from both Kilman and Ait Nuri. Um, I can understand the, the logic, though, of trying to keep um, Gareth Bale at bay by moving your most experienced of your wing-backs to the left-hand side to keep him at bay. So I've got no issue with that, really. And it's at this point of the season, which we've all cried out for, to give some of the youth some experience and, and Hoover hasn't really had a lot of game time. So... To be honest, I, whilst it was a bit of a shock, and if this was one of the first games or midway through the season, I'd have been a bit more concerned. But we've asked for changes, we've asked for the youth, and, and, and we got it to some degree. But then Sace plays, which was the strange one, because he's not been in glistening form as of late either. And Kilman didn't do a lot wrong to deserve dropping, to be honest. Mm. So, I don't know, strange one really, but... Par for the course, we're going to see some odd lineups now just to, to see if something sticks going into the preseason. Kim, is that how you see it? Do you see that it's going to be a bit more experimental with the lineups now for the next two games? Like yeah, with, with the Samadio on the left wing or yeah, on the left, left wing back either? I was kind of expecting another sort of youthful team, but just to, you know, I mean, the same, same really. I was quite disappointed that Kilman and Aitan Ori being, you know, I think two of our best players against Brighton. Um, I think they deserved another start, in my opinion. Um, and I've wrote down in my notes here, I think my gut reaction was was that Samedo probably should have come back into the team. But for me, I would have started him at right back. I think he clearly is more comfortable at right back being, being right footed. And it, and I think that the balance of the team would have been better if we'd have just started with Samedo at right back and and Aitan Nori at left back because I still don't think that Hoover in the long term will be a wing back for me. I think he, I'd like to see him at, at centre back now. Fair enough, maybe not in a two right now, but 
yeah, I think long term, it doesn't for me doesn't look comfortable at right back. So I was a bit disappointed. Although I, you know, I'm happy for for Nuno to be a bit experimental. I did think that yeah, both Kilman and Aitnuri should have started. George, were you happy the fact that Matinho seems to have got the nod over Neves? And do you also think that it was the right thing to do as well to have Samedo as coming in for Aitnuri left left wing back or left back rather? I think it's horses for course at the moment in the middle of the park um, between the three of them. I think um, Neves looks shattered against Brighton because um, he's been doing a lot of dog work all season for me. Like if what led to what you led to believe what you're reading about Matinho going back to Porto on a free and summer, it might just be swan song and trying to give him a few games just to say thank you. Um, I thought Den Donker. I think Den. I'm a big fan of Den Donker, but I think for the last twelve months he's been crap. Um, to be honest with you, I think he's in between. I don't know if he, I don't think he knows what he is anymore in terms of. I don't know if he's a midfielder. I don't know if he's a defender who plays midfield or a midfielder who plays at the back. I've got no idea what he is. Um, when it comes to the Samedo decision, I understand the rationale behind it, but this is sort of the frustration of of what people have with Nuno at the minute, and it's about that we're more concerned about what the opposition will do than actually just backing ourselves and you know backing ourselves to do what we do well and that's our route to, to winning a game. Like Aitnery for me has been unbelievable for the last three, four games he's played. Like absolutely, you know, I think he's worth every penny of that twenty million pounds that we've got to pay to buy him. And to see him just drop today for me and put some out there, like it's just gonna knock his confidence again. Like, and I just don't understand really that selection at all. Like I'm not a big fan of Kilman. I've said it a few times. I know that Pricey, you are like number one fan, and I know Kim's a big fan as well. But like, he did nothing wrong against Brighton at all. And then, if you, if Kilmore would have come out the team for Bolly, you don't you can you understand that. Um, but for Sais to come back in for Kilman, I'm lost for words. I generally, I can't, I've got nothing to say. I'm completely lost for words. Kilman, you know what? It'd be. Wouldn't he be? He'd be a weird boyfriend, wouldn't he, Nuno? You just leave you for a minute's notice, and you think, "Why? What have I done? I don't know what I've done. Tell me what I've done, Nuno." What I reckon, done? Yeah, he'd leave you on red, wouldn't he? You've had a nice day. <laughs> you've had. A, you've gone to San Carlos. You've had like a nice evening together, and then he'd leave you on red for three days afterwards. Definitely left Kilman on red, hasn't he? <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Kilman's still going. What have I done? Then? Look at his phone. I'm still waiting, Nuno. I'm still waiting to get back to me. Um. Yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, we had. Uh, we, we, we'll get into the game now. So, I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't exactly like, you know, it was going to be rushing out to buy the, the DVDs, Blu-rays, Betamaxes, whatever, this game. It was a, a pretty shoddy affair. But, I mean, the first half, um, uh, Matt, would you agree that Troy was our, by far our best attacking outlet that first half? It looked like he was the best attacking outlet. And, he, and to be honest, I was surprised at how flaccid the Spurs defending was to allow him to run on but I guess they were relying on the fact that it was only Silva running running with him looking to make you know today any chances and that he'd pass it off to his right give it to Silva and Silva would be marked pretty tightly and, and he has to get a shot away that was pretty tame and that happened a few times you know he had a shot on target pretty early Silva but it was never it was never going in it was it was always going to be covered by the keeper um so yeah it was it looked exciting in parts because it's always good to see Troy Oro run at defenders, but at the same time, it never really threatened. Do you know what I mean? It was all, mm. it was all sizzle, no steak. Fart, no shit and all mm. that stuff. You got it. Kim, um, our defending was better though. It set pieces. I think, I mean, that was clear to see. And I think we had a bit of the Connor Cody show, didn't we? First half, he was yeah. imperious. I think he, he, was just blocking everything, wasn't he? I mean, I think in in all in all seriousness, up until the goal, he was like one of his better performances. I think this season he's been very up and down for me, but I think he really looked like it felt like are they actually gonna you know put in a good defensive performance? Now I think we did in the first half, apart from. You know, when we dropped too high and then obviously let Harry Kane in. But then obviously, second half, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a minute, it was not a good performance at all. Um, so, yeah, I think first half, 
it's hard to sum it up, isn't it? Because I don't think Spurs were at the races. Um, and I think the, the few times that they did get in, it was down our left-hand side because Samedo was getting caught out. No fault of his own because I think he was out of position. And Morgan Gibbs-White, again, we've said, we've said on, the, on the chat many a time that his best position is behind the, behind the striker. So, yeah, for me, I think it's hard to sum up that performance in the first half other than, ugh, you know, we were never going to score. We were never going to score. We looked tidy for like a few minutes on the ball, but then, you know, I felt like there was we could have played all night and we wouldn't have scored. So, before I get onto the goal, uh, George, what was your thoughts on Vitinha? Because I think he was having a bit of a stinker, wasn't he? Especially in the first half. Yeah, it looked like, <clears throat> and again, like I was shouting for us to sign him, especially after the Albion game as well. Yeah. For me today, he was um he looked like a 14-year-old playing Sunday League football, like he was bouncing off his shins, bang, like couldn't trap a bag of cement, could he? And that's the that's the where you've got to have the patience with him. I thought that, you know, they're a solid team, Spurs are, and you know, Hoyberg um just well, just dominating, didn't he? He was like a man versus boy, unfortunately. And that, that's just the truth of it. Um there's a lot of talent in there, but I, I thought that was his worst performance in a Wolf shirt for me. Um, he looked a bit lost and, you know, he, he should have been one of the ones to come off, but then you look at the bench and you're like, he was putting on. You know, it's just so, you know, I'm just so done with this season. I'm sick of it, honest to God. Like, I'm sick of doing po- this End podcast. It now. Yeah, for now, because it's just, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing positive. I, I don't want to be negative, but it's just the game... The first half, I thought in parts we were quite tidy, but I, I did say like I just don't see where we're scoring a goal. There's no, we had no threat. Like we were tidy in parts. I thought Morgan Gibbs White played quite well in fits and starts as well in that first half, and I think a lot of credit's got to go to. And I know he, he's been getting a lot of pelters for me. End the game, we know his limitations, but I thought Connor Cody, I know he's one man of the match, but I thought he was superb today, especially in that first half as well, like blocking everything, getting his body on the line, and. You're gonna people are gonna look at him now for the for the goal that Kane scored that maybe he could have done a little bit more, but for me, you can't play that high of a line without putting pressure on the ball. Like the line, the, the line's way too high. And again, tactically, I just think we're really naive. Um, so whose fault whose fault? Who are we pointing the finger at then for, for, for that goal? Because it seems there's a couple of people who potentially could be at fault. It's I think you've got to look at it as a collective. Like obviously the, the tactic was to play a slightly higher line. But you've got to be able to press. You've got to be out putting pressure on the ball and pressing the midfield. It was so easy for, I think it was Hoiberg as well, wasn't it? You put the ball in. You know, it was so easy for that defence splitting pass. And the line isn't, you know, they're not all in a line. You know, it's not the worst line you've ever seen. But that for me is like tactically, like it's just not that for me. It's just against scoreboard. Like if you're not applying pressure on the ball, naturally you've got to sit another five, ten yards a bit deeper to not allow that to happen. And you know, Harry Kane's not going to miss a chance like that. Go on, Kim, what do you want to say? I, I think we're kind of forgetting, right, that how many strikers in the Premier League would, yeah, get in that position and score. I just think the way the touch and the way that he just coolly slotted it in, I'm not sure that any other, okay, like maybe like Mo Salah, Kane, I think we're underestimating the, the way that he made the run and put it away, in my opinion. Yeah, but you can't be. But yeah, I get. I get. We it was bad defending, but what I'm saying is, we'd have probably got away with it, wouldn't we? Against most strikers, possibly. But that's what I mean. You can't leave. That that's what I'm trying to say. Is if you're not going to put, apply pressure on the ball, you can't leave like a 20, 25 yard gap between the defenders and the goalie. No, I'm not. One of your classes, Harry Kane, like just about to go in, and he always took the goal well, and he. Like, sometimes you've got old hands up, but it just. It's just really naive. I think, that, like for me, it was, just, it was just a real disappointing goal to concede, especially on the stroke of half time. I think it was disappointing because we we were just so resolute, and it felt like is it going to be one of them performances where we're just like putting our body on the line? And that's what I felt like, even though we weren't going to do anything, you know, going forward. It felt like it's it did feel at some points like you know Cody's being a rock we're really going to just dig in and, and sort of try and grind out a clean sheet here. But, yeah, it didn't happen. 
I mean, part of the issue, you know, you've got Samado playing out of position, theoretically. I know he can play, but for the majority, the vast majority of the season, he's played on the right and he's caught out positionally. And you've got Hoover, who, who, who didn't have a sparkling game anyway. And at the end of the day, all the cameras look at Cody falling over and, and being made a fool of by Kane's amazing touch. It's just, it's just sloppy at the end of the day. It's just sloppy. Like it just call it, call it a um, a learning curve playing as a four because, as Gully's mentioned on a few occasions on his excellent um, analysis uh, uh, episodes, the pitch is wider for the defenders at the back. They're not positionally where they used to be uh, when they're playing as a four, and they still haven't had that many games as a four. So sloppiness is going to come into it until they just have longer to play as a four. Unfortunately, we are going to concede goals that can be avoided. I mean, um, the lines come out briefly, didn't they? VAR for that one, but there was no danger. Was there really matter for that one, for that one being called offside? Not really. Not really. I think it was yeah, quite clear. So I was, I was, part, I was, I was waiting when the, when the goal went in. To be fair, I was waiting because when they showed you the quick replay, I was thinking, I was looking at shoulder blades. I was thinking, oh no, could they? No, no. But then I don't think I don't think it was even referred to initially, was it? On on screen until well into the second half. But I held out a little bit of hope. But moving on to the second half, um, there's a bit of a post bonanza. I think um, both Ali and Kane hit the post in quick succession. Second half. Um, Kim, I mean, second half, we didn't really offer much goal threat, did we? But for their goal, are we going to be in group agreement here that we're pointing our finger at Hoover for being, I don't know what he was, t- tell me what he was doing at that point because he seemed to have, he seemed to have lost their challenge. It was clearly in his favour. Yeah, he was trying as, it almost felt like, was he trying to shepherd the ball out of play? That it, it was never going to sort of go. I don't really understand what he was doing. Um, and I think, you know, he's young, isn't he? So I don't want to just completely bash him, but he, he, you just think, just don't do anything flash at that point, just clear your line sort of thing. Um, I think that you, you can only blame him sort of really for that goal. You know, there's no other, there's no other player you could point your finger at, I don't think, personally. And George, would you do you think there were any defenders who slowed to the rebound as well from the shot coming in, or was it purely a case that our, our defenders were caught on the back foot for when when the cross come in, the save was made, and then I, th- I think again Cody and Sace, um kind of was just caught on the hop, and that that well known goal predator Hoiberg was there to slot it in. I just think it was. I think again, you look at it, so many faults in the in that whole passage of play and. Even down to Patricio, really, like you know, he's got a good enough hand on it. He should be pushing it wider goal. Like you don't push it straight, you know, you don't put it push it straight back out to your six yard box. Just for me, the the thing that really rankles with me the, the most is that we just rolled over and had our bellies tickled that second half. Like we never once threatened to get back into the game. Like our tactic was very much give the like get the ball to um, Adama and hope something happens and just magic something. Like and it's just. Yeah, like I say, like you know, there's no point moaning. Like the season's, you know, the season's over. It's been over for a few weeks. We know, we all know, we need to strengthen and improve. But I just want to see a bit of, a, just a bit of fight. And for me, that second half, there was zero. So it's hard to read when people are saying about, you know, we need to change the manager or we need to change so and so at the team. You look at it and you go, and again, I'm not. No, no, I, by like by any stretch of imagination, I, I do think there's a conversation to be had there, and some why people do. But it's hard for you to stick up for it when you're watching such an abject performance. It's almost like resigning yourself to the fact of this is it, and it's quite sad, really, compared to the, the wave we've had for the last few years that feel feel quite flat watching Wolves at the minute. And it's not it's not something I've associated myself feeling with this with this team. So. Yeah, like we we need a preseason, and like we referenced before on here, I think it's our biggest preseason we've had under Nuno and Fosen. Matt, where do you where do you stand on on uh, Hoover? Not where you stand when Hoovering. I mean, where, where, where do you stand on on Kiana Hoover? In that, I mean, normally Samedo would start on the right, and then we've got enough. Mm. Well, you know, normally eight nor on the left, but I mean. 
he has to play to get experience. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do, do you see potential in him? Is he someone that we, you know, that we're there to, to stick with potentially? I think there's a, there's a player there. Of course, there's a player there, and he's been naive. And what you have to what you have to realise is there's clearing your lines, but then there's also holding onto the ball. You clear the lines, you pass the ball to a Spurs defender, and the the wave starts again. If he can hold onto the ball get a pass away to a midfielder we can we can have possession he will be told by Nuno not to just give the ball away cheaply do you know what I mean there's, there's a, absolutely nothing comes from just hoofing the ball away for a, for an opposition defender to pick up and then pass back to their midfield nothing good comes of that he'll have been told to keep the ball as much as possible and he'd have felt that he could have kept the ball in that scenario and then and then played the pass and then we could have started an attack He's been caught out though, and it happens. Is it's just it happens. The issues are far bigger than Hoover and and his naivety on the pitch. In that, how many times have we seen teams go one down? Okay, they go one down, so they so they pick up their game from an attacking point of view. Then they get amazing good fortune, like two shots going off off the woodwork, and now you know now they sense blood, and now they attack. You take that good fortune sometimes and you take anything that you can get to spur you want to think, actually, this might be my day. This might be our game. And it was the exact opposite. It was going, it was retreating further into a shell. Now that's a culture issue within the squad. That's not individuals. That's a collective. Um, and that should be the bigger issue that we're concerned about and how Nuno turns that around because you've got, you should be having players that are hungry as anything on that pitch. And it didn't feel like that in this game. Now, it's the end of the season. It's been a long, old season for some. But it's not been a long, old season for Vitinha. It's not been a long, old season for Gibbs-White. Do you know what I mean? I expect more. Now, Vitinha, I think, gets a doctor's note in some way. He gets a bit of extenuating circumstances because he isn't a 10. He's not a 10. He should be playing a little further back in the mould of a Matinho and in the mould of a Neves, but he has to he has to mop up from an ageing midfield behind him and an off-form midfield behind him in Dendonka and Matinho, who at this point aren't offering anything. And I feel sorry for the lad because this is exactly what happened to Gibbs-White. He had one great game against Arsenal. Match of the day, go mental on him. And then he dips off form. Vitinho, he's got his name in the in the headlights. He's expected to put in a 10 out of 10 performance every game. And it's not going to happen. He's a kid. He's a young kid. It's just... it's unrealistic expectations and then he has to mop up for Matinho and then Donker shit show again. I feel sorry for the lad. But there's a cultural issue there in the squad that you should be up for every game. And I know it's easy for us to say, well, they should be, they get paid loads, blah, 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 blah. But there was, there was definite, there's definitely a, an element of throwing in the towel you know giving up while you're on the bench in this there seems there seems to almost be this kind of like cliche isn't there when you, when you get to in the position of teams like ours where you've got nothing to play for so to speak you're either quote unquote on the beach you you know you're not the, the, the tenacity is not there or the other version of a, a team who's not playing for anything can be it's the cliche comes out as oh they're even more dangerous now because they've got nothing to play for so now you'll mm. see the real team and you think well is it is it as simple as falling into those cliches because I, I mean I certainly don't see us falling fall into the latter of those cliches of being you know playing with a handbrake off or being more dangerous now for me a lot of it this season um if we talk about analogies it's almost like in boxing we're almost like a journeyman who's just like with a punch you know like we're there we get paid for sticking around for 12 rounds but we're never going to offer anything it's like just you know you stick around you get you know stick around We'll 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 be there. We'll we won't really compete. We're never going to win the game. And like today, it felt very much like that. It just felt like not not any point from minute one to ninety today did I ever feel like we tried to win the football match. And that for me is just not good enough either. Um, for being honest with you. And just to follow up on that, I agree because there was two points today that really disappointed me. One was I felt like our team was going down as a collective too easily. Like, I felt like any little foul, we were, like, looking for the free kick. You know, Matinho, Silva, like, virtually the whole team, at some point, I felt just went down too easily looking looking for the free kick. And I get, you know, that's modern football, but I just think we didn't... We were on the beach, we didn't want it. And the second thing was, 
so many times Adama was sort of the only Wolves player in the picture. I like I, I was just thinking, okay, Adama's the fastest player on the pitch. You know, you get that. But you didn't see any of the sort of midfielders, any of them busting his butt to get in that box. Because, you know, Adama's pretty good. He's getting better at putting a ball in on someone's head or just laying it back to a Morgan Gibbs White of a Tinia. And for me, I just felt like they just weren't that there were, you've got to say they were on the beach today. They weren't putting in, you know, really like all blazing performance for me, just generally as a collective, I think. And that was one of the biggest issues. We've been on the line, going to see a beach this summer, are they? They're going yeah. to be in the Euros. Well, but for a lot of games though, this season, we could say we've been on the beach for all year. Like West Ham, when we lost 4 0, like Liverpool, Anfield, we've thrown the title so many times. And like, for me, in a game, when it comes to people having this conversation about the management and the, the squad and foes and, and stuff, the biggest question for me to ask anyone who, where, whether you're Nuno in, Nuno 80s, can you recognise this Wolves team from the team that came up from the Championship? I.e., we've got no identity. I don't know what our best eleven is. I don't know who's going to play week on week. It's just, for me, I'm just lost. Like This isn't, this isn't the team that we've come to know and love in terms of, you know, that first season, the Premier League, like when we got to the FA Cup semi-final, it was like unbelievable, went toe-toe with everyone and you just knew we had something about us. This year, it's been, quite frankly, it's been embarrassing. And like I said, wherever you, wherever you sit on the pendulum, uh, on the on the, the spectrum of Nuno in, Nuno out, etc., can anyone actually tell me what our identity is as a football club at the minute? Because for me, I couldn't tell you. Could not mm. tell you from week from week. There is there's an element of you know adapt or die. Everything has to change. You know football changes so quickly in terms of what's in, what's out, what's sexy, what's not. Um, was it naive of us to try a new system without a preseason, potentially? But do things need to change before you just get caught out and you know look at Traore at first in, in his Wolves career? unbelievable because no one knew how to how to manage him but now people know how to manage him because they stick two or three men on him so he has, he's had to change his game to be more impactful so you know potentially Wolves have had to do that to, to have any sort of continued success I think the issue is now I do not envy Nuno one bit going into this this pre-season because there is so much pressure on him for success now because Again, doesn't matter where you lie on the spectrum now. Nuno in, Nuno out, Nuno indifferent. You have to take into account injuries, long season, COVID, the rest of it. It, it, it. Whether you think that fans make a difference in the stadium or not, whether you think that the fact that it's not been a normal season, that everybody else has had the same season, it doesn't matter. It's extenuating circumstances this season. It should be struck, struck from the records, apart from the fact that, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, this is so much pressure for success over the five games at the start of the season. You know, there'll be no, there'll be no murmurings of, okay, we threw the cups because the squad's thread, you know, threadbare. There'll be none of that this year. There'll be expectations of through the roof and people will be calling for his head after five games if we don't get off to a great start. And I just don't envy the man at all going into the, going into the next season. And I think that pressure is, is, is showing on the pitch. I really do. I feel that, I feel that at the moment, it just looks exhausted, knackered, can't wait for the game to be over. Um, yeah. And that, and, that, and that's an issue. And I don't think it's necessarily anybody's fault. But at the same time, you know, you expect professionals to be professional. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, mean, it's, I think there's a lot of, you can see sometimes it just doesn't look fun anymore for some of the players on the pitch. Does it, it just seems mm. like they're going through the, the motions, almost as if we're there by numbers essentially um, but yeah I, I, I would agree with you I think just better that this as soon as the season's over we can just breathe a sigh of relief and then hopefully start again in August with a full a full stadium or nearest damn it and then just you know hopefully we've, we've got a good summer behind us I and mean, that's a whole separate pod in itself about what mm-hmm. we're going to do this summer or what money we are or aren't likely to spend in the current climate but um, I want to bring in some of the Twitter corner questions here actually before we finish up on the game. And then um, 
One thing we should mention, actually, um, that happened with about 10 minutes to go, uh, Stu probably spaffed all over his room because Theo Corbiano got off the bench and come on. He's, he probably, he would look like that that South Park meme of just <laughs> stew juice everywhere by his screen. He's probably still wiping himself down, but um, not not too much to dwell on with, with his performance because uh, he only got his 10 minutes. But Ash Dolan has tweeted in to say, apart from young Corbiano, uh, who else? Who is your favourite Canadian? Uh, he's picking Bret Hart as an obvious choice. But um, Matt, I'm going to come to you first. Who gets your vote as your favourite Canadian? Having done a podcast with him, Tom Stade, the comedian, he's a very nice guy and incredibly funny as well. So I'm going to go for uh, Tom Stade because he's, he's incredibly charming and uh, he'd make a nun blush with his swearing as well, which I always like. He was one that was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was he the one that made famous who did the Bilston Market yeah, sketch he's, he's years the, ago? Yeah, the meat van guy. That's yeah. the one, yeah. Yeah, very, very good. With his bag of faggots. I've got a bag full of faggots. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, who gets your vote as your favourite Canadian? I've genuinely just had to Google famous Canadian. <laughs> I literally couldn't think of any. And there's some quite interesting, quite famous people, actually. It comes up, and I again, this is Google, so I don't know if these are all true, but Jim Carrey, Celine Dion, Justin Bieber, didn't know he was Canadian, Drake, Avril Lavigne, you know, we could go on here, but I think my favourite one, just quickly looking through the list, is Kim Cattrall from Sex and the City, without sounding too girly. Um, yes, she gets my vote. I can't, I can't relate to too much Sex and the City, never watched it, <laughs> but... George, what about you? Um, I don't know. Really, well, <clears throat> I would say Bret Hart, but you know, you know, you can't talk about wrestling on here anymore, apparently. Um, so I, I'd go for someone like I, I think modern day. It's got to be Alfonso Davies, isn't he? I just think he's really cool and a, and a phenomenal footballer. But going back a little bit, I used to watch F One back in the day. I don't watch it anymore. But Jack Villeneuve, he was a f- French Canadian, I believe. So I'll go for Jack Hill. Yeah, then we'll go with that. Uh, I'll probably go for Avril Lavigne because I was uh, infatuated with her when I was in my younger years. I wanted to be her skater boy. But <laughs> um, <laughs> she said, see you later, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Dean Marsden, bringing it, steering it back, resting it back to the game a little bit. Um, apparently Dean Marsden, a friend of the show, didn't watch the game. So he asks you, can each of you sum the game up in just one word, Matt? What do you reckon? We'll put you on the spot mm. slightly. The other two have got time mm. to prepare. But um, Matt, if you could use one word for the game, what would it be? Ambivalent. Oh, um, I like it. I'm just going to quickly Google if that's the word I meant. Um, because I'm not, enti- <laughs> uh, I'm not entirely sure it is. Uh, ambivalent meaning. Google, um, having mixed feelings or contradictory ideas about something or someone. Some loved her, someone hated her, few were ambivalent about her. So, you know, I've got mixed feelings. There you go. Not just complete apathy and dread, it was ambivalent. Yes. <laughs> Kim, if you quickly Google the word, <laughs> you, can, you can choose some of Yeah, I've Googled quite a lot on this podcast so far. The best word, I think, is demoralising, I think. That just sums it up nicely. Just the whole season, actually, I think. Not just this game, just quite demoralising. It's just added a bit extra demoralisation to the already demoralised mood that that you're in. (laughs) George, what's your one word for Dean? Oh no, Dean's. I think I saw Dean's on holiday, so hopefully he's having a nice little time down there, and he's uh he's done well to escape the game today. I'm going to cheat a little bit and just go with something that's three syllables. It's two words. Fucking wank. <laughs> you didn't have to Google that, did you? Nah, watching these two Google. Well, I don't need to pretend I'm on countdown. I'll just tell it how it is. <laughs> Fucking shit, mate. You can qualify. <laughs> two words. No. <laughs> Uh, some more football questions. We've we've had a, a hat trick of questions from a friend of the show, Nag, at King Wolf Eight Four. Um, so, goalkeeper chat. 
assuming that um, Ruddy is going to go at the end of the season, are we looking for a young understudy to Rui? Or are we looking for a Ruddy-style goalkeeper, like a seasoned pro, to come in of, as number two? It depends on your answer. Who are you going to go for? And I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to go to George first, just to get your thoughts on this one. I think it all depends on if Patricio goes. Because... There's a lot of rumours that he's going to go to Roma. I think he's got 12 months left on his contract. It all just seems to make sense in terms of Mourinho going there. and Why would he pick Roma over Wolverhampton? Who knows, eh? Who knows? So, I think we'll probably need to... I reckon we'll probably get a younger goalie in as number one. And then I'd take a veteran number two. Like, I mentioned this a few weeks ago and I've got a bit of pelters just because of his old... Well, I suppose he's played for every other Midlands club other than us, but... I'll take like someone like Ben Foster on a year, that genuinely to play to be number two. If we've got, uh, you know, an established number one, not saying he'd come to us, but I know he's leaving Watford in the summer. And I think he, I think we'll talk about Man City getting him. Um, yeah, I think that's probably what I'd do. I think if the the problem is we're looking at the whole team, and I think the whole spine needs a refresh. But if you let if Patricio goes, that's um, that's as big as the goalkeeper's as big as position as anything on the pitch to fill. So. If he does go for the money, they're talking about like eight to ten million euro to get someone of his quality in. You probably have to spend three times that I think personally to mm. replace him, like for like. Yeah, it'd be a big, be a big blow if we go. Kim, what's your thoughts? Would you be happy with like a Sondergaard or a Scott Carson? I actually think, and I don't want this to happen, but I think I agree with George. I think he he that Patricio actually might go, and although that's not. For me, I think we could potentially replace him with someone like Sam Johnston. I know in the group chat, people were saying, oh, we might want to just have him as number two. Well, he ain't going to come as number two, is he, after the the good season that he's had? So someone like Mm. him, maybe as a number one, and then just sort of get a a young backup goalie. Someone like maybe a Tom Heaton. I mean, that's, you know, when he played for Villa before his injury, he was was pretty good and he's not going to get in the team over Martinez anytime soon, is he? So I think to be honest, I think the the biggest concern is the number one goalie, never mind sort of, you know, the number two goalie. I, I'd expect Rudy will go. I mean is that being confirmed? Um but I'd like to see sort of a younger a younger goalie come in as a as a backup to challenge for the number one spot. So, Matt, what's your thoughts on the issue? Potentially could be losing two goalkeepers this summer. What what would you do? Well, first of all, we've got Sarkic at Shrewsbury at the moment on loan, and apparently he's you know he's he's doing okay there. And sooner or later, if we want to, unless we're literally using him as an investment to sell, he's going to have to come into the fold somewhere down the line. So, do we recall him? Give him a give him at least time spent around the first team, if not at least playing. If we keep Patricio, if we if Patricio goes, we're you're exactly right. You're spending, you've got to spend top money for top keepers these days. And that's just the way it is. It's not, it's not like you can skimp on keepers. Um, so it's going to be a difficult one. I'd like to think if Patricio goes, that will be the beginning of the rest of the old guard moving on. You know what I mean? It seems like the natural progression of things, um, mm. but you'd absolutely want to keep him. So hopefully we do. And it just be the fact that we bring in a young understudy as opposed to having to make a first team signing I do follow um, like many others probably follow uh, Patricio's missus on uh, Instagram and I think she, she did a Q&A a few days ago um, uh, there's loads of people asking the questions about do you like living in the UK and she said yes and then uh, someone asked is Rui staying and she just put the shrug emoji <laughs> like I don't know I don't know <laughs> so who yes, knows you yes you do you like Rome. You've already got an apartment. You do know what's going on. You leave in Texas for Rome. She's, she's already on right move Rome already looking for nice apartments. I've already put my offer at Kings Winford Sports Shop to put Buffon on the back of my T-shirt, <laughs> on the back of my goalkeeper shirt from this year. And then Nags, one well, of the follow-up question was, um, would you take either top six glory, but you lose the connectivity with traditional roots and fans, or would you take seven to 12, the other cup run, but you keep the connections? Kim, what would you choose out of those two? Seven to 12, I think. After this whole, you know, pandemic, I think 
we've got to sort of come back to reality quick and just be grateful that hopefully next season we'll get back to normal and that I actually think that the crowd will be right behind the team again and I think that will show again in our performances and I don't want to just bang on about it because I get that it's the same for everyone but especially at home I think the crowd did you know spur us on against you know the big the big teams that where we we had loads of success so yeah what do you reckon George we'd be uh, coining the glory but losing the fans or the bang average but the fans love you <laughs> um, I think I don't know. Like, if I'm if I'm being honest with you, okay, I'll tell you what Fosen want to do. Fosen will take first place, move the Molyneux to the M54 Island, hundred quid a ticket, thousand pound a season ticket, casino hotel. That's what they want. Um, the question though was it? <laughs> I think I kind of want it as well. Let the whole thing burn and just watch the meltdown. <laughs> I know, I'm joking. You know, we can no, go watch all three Indians. <laughs> no, the thing is, though, it's it's all we spoke about this on the on the preview show on Thursday, and I think that fans have got to get used to the idea that with success is going to come all the commercial stuff onto all that fluffy stuff. So you kind of one without the other. So what fans? Because we've been so ingrained, we've always been like a well second tier championship club, and having this, you know cult following I guess I don't think fans are going to be happy until that happens again so you know I'd rather to be honest with you you're looking at like you know teams like Charlton back in the day and do you really just want mediocrity in the Premier League like for years upon years upon years like if you're not going to go for it I would much rather go down and I know that sounds stupid and cliched but you know I don't want to just exist if we're going to go for it I want to go for it Matt's Matt's falling that's what I seem to say about this in a minute yeah, no, it's fine. But no, in all seriousness, though, I, I want us to be as successful as we can be. So if that means we've got to maybe lose a few privileges, then I think it's just part of the part of the court. I think this is going to happen. And fans need to suck it up. Like ticket prices will carry on in, increasing. And yeah, I, I haven't paid 45 quid for Man United. And I probably wouldn't pay 45 quid in a half empty stadium. But if that was the going rate and we were and we were a Champions League side. I'll pay 50 quid to go. But the quality on the pitch needs to match what the quality of the ticket price is. Well, that's some sort of an elongated answer, but there you go. <laughs> go, on, go on, Matt, take it away. What's your stance? No, no, no I, I'm going back to the to the original question. The, it's not a question. Connectivity is already gone. So it has gone, yeah. It doesn't make, it doesn't make a difference because the, the, con- the, the, the connectivity is already gone and we're going to finish 15th or 12th or whatever it is that we're going to finish. Um, I think the issue is there that um, I love this term legacy fans because it's exactly what it is. Um, every, I, I think now we are seeing, and rightly so, because they're a business for a reason. If, if I'd spunked as much money on something, I'd be expecting returns as well. I'd, no one does it for a charity. I've got no issue with that at all. But I think people need to realise that the, the, the Fosun and, and have uh, an obligation to one thing and one thing only, and that's their shareholders. And they, do, they don't have an obligation to Wolverhampton. They don't have an obligation to the city. Everything that's come so far has been a nice side effect or symptom of the machine that is corporate Fosun. And that's and that's fine. People need to understand that. And for, uh, fan power and things like that and everything that's going on with the ESL, I think has made people realise, yes, there is a place for fan power in football. But I think I also... And I'm guilty of it, just as anybody like the whole, you know, moaning for the sake of moaning and everything else. But I'm I, the whole ticket price thing that's gone on recently, losing so much energy to it at the moment. And it gets to the point where, listen, if people if people are going to pay it, and that's fine. But you can't, you know, I'll, I'll put it. I'll, let me put it another way. You've got people now who voted for Brexit who didn't think that freedom of movement wouldn't mean that they can't now be an expat over in Spain. Just think about what it is that you're supporting. Do you know what I mean? You need to, people just need to understand that what they're, what they're buying into is what is to come. So if the ticket price thing, if you want to pay £45 a go, absolutely be, be my guest. It's not going to bother me any shape, any way, shape or form. But 
people need to understand that they're buying into something that there is no reverse on this ticket prices are never going to go down so if you accept it now you're accepting it for the future what was that song by rem if we tolerate this then your children will be next well the children will be next will be about 100 quid a game yeah. there we go off me so i was gonna say on the ticket thing though it's, it's gone to category three as well hasn't it you never thought it had gone down to category and i think three. that i think that that, show, that shows it. it doesn't it yeah i think that, that says think something that doesn't it yeah i think that shows that people people aren't you know categorically okay with it and and that, that's that's fine so much energy's been lost to it though i feel it's a good job that they were there weren't more than four and a half thousand tickets because if there was probably over ten thousand tickets we wouldn't. I don't think they would sell, personally. No, that would be more embarrassing, wouldn't it? Mm. Can't even sell but the, the amount. That would, that would send out more of a message, hope, wouldn't it? But mm. they're obviously going to sell the four and a half thousand tickets. So, mm. if we had more, they'd, they'd give them free away for the, they'd give free tickets for the NHS to show that they're doing a good thing, and they'd give everyone a free lucky dip in the raffle they've been doing on the club shop as well to only win a home shirt. Only two pound pair of socks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that'll, uh, that'll wrap us up nicely for this part of the show. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we come back. We're going to preview our penultimate game of the season away to Everton. Hi, Richard here. Before you go back to hearing us dissect the latest Wolves news, some really shoehorn Simpsons references, a bit of 90s film action, of course, a bit of wrestling. Um, I just want to do a quick shout out for our sponsors, Pixel Yeti Media. Now, they've done a fantastic job on the Wolves Fancast website, wolvesfancast.com, please go check it out. But they're not just web designers, they're a creative agency that cover all your design needs from websites, brochures and signage to marketing, logo design and branding. There's basically nothing they can't do marketing-wise, so make sure you check them out at pixelyetimedia.com and I'll let you get back to enjoying the show. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Wolves Fancast. Um, we've got our penultimate game of the season coming up on... Wednesday, I think it is. Because someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we're away to Everton. There will be some fans back in the stadium for this one. Um, so we're playing an Everton team who are trying to keep their European ambitions alive. I think at the minute um, they're looking most likely to qualify for the most illustrious sounding Europa Conference League tournament. Probably playing some Latvian plumbers somewhere. But <laughs> How do we see this game going, guys? Because we just talked about our ambivalence for the, the previous game uh, and the team in general. Um, I hope that we're going to see more of the same again. Matt, what's your, what's your initial thoughts for this game? Um, I don't know. We, we'd be better off reading the star signs and the expression star to try and get a grasp of what the what the squad's going to look like. Or, you know, it could, it could be anything, I think. As we know with Nuno, he very much is, he will give you one chance under not fantastic circumstances. And if you don't pass that test, you will be banished into footballing obscurity for a, a, a month or two ahead. So I'd be surprised to see Hoover play. Um, I don't know. We, you know, he probably sees this as a justification to go back to, back to, back to normal and just play a normal box standard 11 that we would normally and then make a defensive substitution when we should be attacking too late? I mean, I was looking at um, a head-to-head record earlier, Kim. You can't really draw anything from it, to be honest. It drew one, lost one, lost. It's, I mean, how do you see it going? Because I think from, from, the, from what you said earlier, we see we pretty much on the beach or would like to be on it. Everton have got, actually have got something to play for. So is it only going to be, is it only going to go one way in your mind? Is it going to be a tough, tough, tough afternoon for us? Probably, to be honest, without sounding really <laughs> negative. Um, I'm just looking at Everton's last sort of um, few gaps, sort of five games. And and again, they're all very tight. You know, I mean, you say Everton have got something to play for, but I suppose they've got the Europa League to play for. But, you know, they're not going to make top four, top five now. So... I think they're yet to play against Sheffield United tonight. So I can see a nil-nil, <laughs> to be honest. I think... Oh, don't say that. 
I genuinely think it could be worse than the game today. I think that they don't, they're not exactly the most entertaining team to watch either. So, and I can see Nuno just going back to basics. And I hope I'm wrong because I'd rather just carry on and lose miserably rather than just go back to, dare I say, a back five. And I hope he doesn't. Um, or just, you know, put Matinho, Neves, Dendonka, all the old guards sort of back in. I mean, the only player that I'd like to see come back in is Bolly, just because he's had like a lack of game time um, this season, really. So it's, it's just one of those. I don't think, I think the game's pretty dead from, from both teams' perspective. So I'm not, I, I almost haven't got my hopes high at all so that you're not you're not left as disappointed I suppose George what's your thoughts on it are you going to are you going to watch the game or are we going to take the dog for a walk instead oh, the problem is I've, I've got to do Instagram live and I'm on the podcast so I've got to watch the game unfortunately uh, <laughs> pray I don't for know, George I, I, don't, I, don't, I know yeah I don't know whether just get a bag of mag- magic mushrooms in and just see if that enhances the experience um, <laughs> um, honestly I'm just not looking forward to it at all and I think that in all seriousness, it could be like a it could be another Burnley scenario where we just get rolled over. Um, if we play like we did the second half today, with like no lack of effort or even attempt to try and get back in the game, like who like you know who we fall in, like they'll they beat us and they'll beat us hand they'll beat us like comfortably as well. Um, the thing is though, like I said, they're still playing for that. I guess the European... Well, I suppose it can still get sixth, but if they come seventh, you've got that UEFA Conference League. And, like, I think that's a poison chalice, you know, for anyone who gets that next year. And I've never really talked to Everton as a football club. I don't know what it is. I just don't really like them. So I do kind of hope they get seventh, and I hope they just rot. Because I don't know what it is about them. I just don't really like them that much. Uh, same as Arsenal. Just got to like a... Un, I don't know, just don't like them. So if they get seventh, yeah, crack on. If they beat us and get seventh, great. I was always the opposite, really, to be honest. I always quite liked Everton, at least for a, a, a small period of time. I think it's when Les got signed for him. I kind of followed him a little bit. But, um, I mean, they've got some they've got some quite dangerous players. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Sigurdsson. I don't know if, if James Rodriguez will, will be playing, but um, I'll get some, get some predictions from us all on, on, the, on, on the show there. So, Matt, how do you think it's going to go? I mean, uh, I don't want to um, predict a loss, so I'll, I'll go one-one. I think um, you know, you got you got to remember how good a squad Spurs are as well. It's not like they they were they were lucky. They they they, they battered us for long periods of this game, and, and Everton aren't as good a squad generally speaking. So I'm going to be I'm going to be positive. I think we're going to play a more resolute team, perhaps, and we'll uh, we'll get a draw out of it. One-one. Kim, are you are you really going to stick with your nil nil? No, I'm. I'm actually. I've changed my mind. Actually, within two minutes, I think. I think we'll try and go back to basics, and I think we'll just try and be defensively solid. But I think we'll still lose two one. All positive so far, George. <laughs> What's I'm, I'm going to copy and paste what I said. That I thought this game would be. I thought it'd be uh, against Spurs today. I think it's going to be very open. Two attacking-minded teams. We've got nothing to play for. Uh, There's going to be lots of chances, lots of creativity, and I'm going to go for two all. So again, probably not going to happen, but I'm just going to pretend it will because it'll get me up for Instagram Live and the podcast on Wednesday. So yeah, really exciting two all draw. I need some of that excitement as well because I think I'm on the pod on Instagram Live. So I'll, I'll put you in touch with my dealer for the mushrooms. You best get the <laughs> mushrooms in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe need something a bit more stronger as well. <laughs> right, uh, we're going to finish as ever. We've got we've got quite a few Twitter corners to get through. In some more jovial uh, questions has uh, has come through. I'm going to start off with our very own Richard Hobbs. He wants to know what each of our first car was. So Matt, what was your first car? Uh, I had a Vauxhall Corsa that, because I was naive when it came to buying cars, I didn't know that you had to check the logbook or I didn't know how to check about things like whether it had been an accident or not. So it had, it had been written off. So every time you put full left lock on, something fell off. 
um, something quite critical to them, the mechanics of the car. So the engine, <laughs> well, like the, like the drive shaft or something. I'm I'm not very mechanically minded, um, so I went from that pretty quickly to a Citroen Saxo Forte. Go on, Kim, over to you. What was your first motor? <laughs> so I thought I was the bee's knees. I had a Citroen C2, one point two liter, and it was the slowest car you could ever imagine. I just remember like pulling off at islands. And you literally have to having to like floor it just to make sure like I <laughs> escaped another car. So Thank yeah, so like I, I kept that for a few years. Almost ran it into the ground and then got barely anything for it. So moved up in the world to an Audi A1 now. As as a partridge, mm, then George, <laughs> what was your what was your first car? I had a Corsa as well, same as Matt, silver Corsa, and I brought it from a garage. And again, I'll be honest with you, um, just don't know anything about cars, to be honest with you. So I just went for the safe option of, right, I was going to get a Corsa, got a Corsa, and then within about a month, it was like, a, like it started flooding from the passenger footwell. It was like a leak. Um, I got to the car one day, and there's just a puddle, and it just stunk of, like, damp. And um, never really ever got it fixed properly in terms of the guy kept taking it back to the garage and kept bodging it. And... Um, yeah, like me and my, I had that car for about three, four years, and me and my mates always said that we'd always try and push it off the top of the cliff. Basically, that was the way it was going to go. Um, but someone ended up paying me like 250 quid for it, and I, I can't believe it. Um, so that was my first car, and then, uh, yeah, very in between as like I think, I think that first car, your first car always is you know, stupid stuff like that. Yeah, mine was uh, a K Reg Renault Clio. I bought off a chap in Gornal. And when I got, I got it home, I put a wolf sticker on the back window. And then when I, when I, when I drove it, then there's a big puddle of some substance underneath where the car was sitting for a while. It was an old car. I was like, okay, it's only had four gears. Didn't have a fifth gear, <laughs> this car. That just gives you a clear error. I mean, not, K-Reg is like 93-ish or something like that. In fact, my first three cars were all Renault Clio's. I had some sort of infatuation with them and I had a, a smash. In all three of them, all my fault as well. I was, I'm, I'm just not good. I'm not that, but I'm a bit, I'm obviously more careful now. But back then, I couldn't pick a good car and I drove shit as well. Uh, keep on the car theme again. Aaron Andy Gillard has asked, What's your favorite film that is primarily about cars? So, uh, Joel, I want to come to you first. This one, I don't really know much <clears throat> about primarily about a car. It's sort of gearing up to the Fast and Furious answer, but I don't want to answer with that because I don't really think they're that good. Um, and the, the later ones are a lot of action. Um, can I just say Brum? I know it's not a film, but I like Brum. And, you know, what's, you, what's that? Brum, can't you remember the, the TV, it's TV Whoa, show? Brum. Cowboy. I, I can't remember that. You what? Yeah, so it was, it was on BBC and it used to be like a car. You used to drive around Birmingham on the canals. And like you should go and solve all sorts. I thought it was called Brum just because it was a car, not because he drove around Birmingham as well. Yeah. He <laughs> used to solve loads of problems for people around Birmingham city centre. Like a modern day Peaky Blinder. Brum, yeah. There you go, yeah. Him. I'll go with for the, Brum. For the YouTube viewers, I am holding up um, Brum. Something. <laughs> this is a revelation to me. Never knew this existed. Our Let's first go. episode date, 1991. Yeah. Sorry, I'd never... 66 episodes of it as well. No, I'd never knew anything about it. <laughs> Kim, what's your favourite film about cars? Uh, I suppose one of the obvious ones is the film Cars, the animation type one, but I don't actually think that's that good. I'm going to be quite boring and say... I do actually like Fast and Furious 5. I think that's a really good film, and I like a bit of Vin Diesel, so... Yeah, that's me. You know, that's a question about Fast and Furious. Like, there's how many of them there are there? Eight films. Is eight yeah. Fast and Furious or is there seven? It feels like sore. They just keep going. What oh, are they doing? Are they just, are they, are they, is it just racing each other or what? No, I've really got fair, memory watch Fast and Furious. The, the fifth one is like the storyline's really good because it's not just cars. But then I think after then I gave up because then the sixth, seventh were crap. So. 
Yeah. Like so. Go on, Matt, take us away. What's, uh, what's your favourite film about cars? It's Herbie quite, fully quite loaded. <laughs> Herbie <laughs> fully <laughs> loaded with Lindsay Lohan. No. Um, Straight in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, so uh, cheap plug here, but Cage Fighting, at Cage Fighting Pod on Twitter. We just recorded an episode on um, Drive Angry, Nick Cage film, um, which is, as you expect, it's like a high octane film about cars loosely um but there's a scene in it where nick cage is getting down and dirty in a hotel room and ends up shooting people whilst being ridden by a barmaid and he literally and then (laughs) he gets tasered she gets an orgasm through the tasering and he's just shooting people around and it's just absolutely wild um and it's it's a class film and there's lots of cars in it so uh drive angry just gonna make a note of that for later (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> what, what, and, what, and what time of the film was that scene in at all? <laughs> <laughs> um, we have got a, a slightly uh, left field question here from Lee who his Twitter handle is at Mr Carbohydrate uh, would you rather have teeth and no lips or lips and no teeth and you're mm. stuck with your choice and you can't have surgery or false teeth etc etc so uh Kim, I want to come to you first. This one: Would you rather have teeth and no lips, or lips and no teeth? Well, if you didn't have any teeth, then you wouldn't be able to eat, <laughs> would you? So you'd be virtually dead. So well, you came the soup, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, no. I'd rather keep teeth. You get to town on candy floss, or like. <laughs> yeah, definitely keep your teeth. It's not even a question, is it? You won't be able to have the big soups though. George, would you, would you rather have teeth and no lips or lips and no teeth? I'd only say, you've got to think like this, like exposed teeth. Like, I don't really think teeth are like great to look at anyway. And imagine if you've got like some manky teeth, because if you can't have cosmetics as well, I had a brace. Like, I'm thinking about like braceless me, 14 years old, without any, without any lips. Like, that wouldn't be good for anyone. Uh, you know what? I'll go for lips, no teeth. I think just because imagine having like exposed teeth all the time, like I think it'd be like a horror really film. Weird. Yeah, yeah, I think it looked really weird. Um, I don't know how you'd eat, like you say. I think you have to have processed everything, or just have like being vain over being practical. There, yeah, I'm shallow, Kim. Right, very shallow. When you're out, no one's seen them. Yeah, but I think you just have to cane loads of clippos. That's how you'd live. Matt, mm. you've had longest to ponder on this. What's your thoughts? No, it wasn't, you could have come to me and I'll be quicker than my Herbie fully loaded. And so I'd do without the teeth, easy peasy, because your gums go hard. Your gums go hard without teeth. Old people old, old people can eat steak because the, your gums just go harder. And that, that's, it ends up being a, 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 a faux set of teeth, basically. So... I don't think that's as big as as big an issue as as people think it would be. So teeth out. I want to keep my luscious lips the way they are. Uh, and a question uh, from our very own Stu, who's asked, "Do you think do you think Nuno ever learned to ride a bike, or were his stabilizers permanent?" <laughs> so, George, was he one of these kids who had permanent stabilizers? No, I think no, I think he had stabilizers off, but I think he only had like four gears. And I think his mum always told him to hold the brake as well. So I think he I think he definitely had no stabilizers. He's got the ability there, but I think he just yeah, he always squeezed the handbrake at all times permanently. <laughs> I don't really yeah. <laughs> Matt, any advance on the Oh, Matt Kim, any advance on the Stu's far-reaching question there? Basically, <laughs> basically he, he 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 took his stabilizers off, but he never he never took and passed his cycling proficiency test. So to get to that next level of riding a bike, you need to pass your cycling proficiency test, and Nuno doesn't have that. Whether that's an analogy for Nuno's career with us, I'll leave that to your imagination. He's still looking for those solutions, isn't he, Kim? Still looking for those solutions for his bike I mean- riding. To be fair, I reckon he didn't. He hasn't got his stabilizers on now, but he's got his both hands firmly 
on depending on the, the type of bike on on the brakes so like he's ready to push that those brakes quickly so you know he, or if he's got them on the what are those bikes where you could, you've got the brakes on the pedals i think that's more of a yeah i think he's got his feet ready to like just you know emergency stop can i extend this question out to to everyone just come like just come to me uh so Nuno, right, he goes to Centre Parks, right? Does he take his own bike with him or does he rent them from the bike shack? So does he take his own bike and load it on the car or would he just rent one for 30 quid for the week, as you do? Go in there. He'd take it with him. He'd be prepared. Yeah. He's got his own special bike to take with him. Nuno only he's trusts got double brakes. He only trusts his own bike. He doesn't like new, <laughs> inexperienced bikes that he's got no experience with. Mm. Yeah, and Max, Max Kilman's working behind the kiosk. For, 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 <laughs> Still left him on red. <laughs> right, we're going to we've run out of time there. So unfortunately, we haven't got time to answer little Dan's question on, on our thoughts on Israel and Palestine. So we're going to leave it there for this week. Um, thanks to Matt, Kim, and George for getting us through uh, this podcast on that god awful Spurs game. Um, you know where to find us on social media on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, Instagram, across all platforms. Go and check us out, please. Uh, it's all the right to say. It's, uh, catch you later, and we'll see you after the Everton game. See you later. Bye.